George excitedly sat down in his non-denominational church for a special Sunday night service, his curiosity and anticipation driving his racing heart. Finally, he appears, with ritual fringes draped over his shoulders, a yarmulke, small cap, skull cap, with a combination American and Israeli flag design, and a long flowing beard that would make any hipster jealous. The Messianic rabbi, who George's pastor had invited, began to speak. He shot spiritual bullets impacting the eager Christian crowd sitting on the edge of their seats and dropped Torah bombs of deep revelation exploding their spiritual minds. This was George Gentiles' first exposure to Messianic Judaism, and he was hooked. Flash forward two years and George shows up to Beth Brit Chadashah, not a real synagogue, with his messianic dance uniform hanging up in the backseat laundry hook of his car, equipped with his Yemenite-style shofar sitting on his wife's lap in the passenger seat next to him. He's all prepped for the special men's dance this Shabbat after the rabbi's sermon. Flash forward again, only two short years later, and George no longer attends Beth Prit Chadashah. His messianic dancing days are long in the rearview mirror, along with his faith in Yeshua. What happened? Where was the excitement he felt with that first messianic presentation of the biblical feast? Somewhere along his journey, a certain YouTube video shot some well-placed arrows of doubt in his already corroded shield of faith. Couple that with the loosening of his belt of truth when confronted with a confusing and dizzying path to Gentile identity. Finally, the surrendering of his helmet of salvation took place with his family's visit and ultimate conversion to his local Orthodox community. The pounding bass pulsated in club golden calf as disillusioned Dina's body swayed to the rhythmic music. Just then, she had a memory flashback of the pounding bass drum of the cut-time messianic dance songs her parents used to listen to in the car every Saturday morning on their weekly 45-minute trek to Shabbat services. She was one of the only pre-teenage youth in her messianic community and she was lonely. She dreaded Saturdays as her family spent long hours into the afternoon filled with awkward lunch on eggs and boring classes. She dreamt about hopping in her friend Chrissy Christian's car to go to the movies with all of her other friends. You know, the movie where that cute boy was going to be at. She chuckled to herself as she and her current girlfriend, a atheist Ashley, drove back after their night at the club to the off-campus apartment that they had just moved into together. Lost in her thoughts, she continued down memory lane, remembering her strange upbringing, the one she avoided talking about to her quote-unquote normal friends who had grown up in normal non-religious families. Friends who were part of families filled with all kinds of Saturday morning sports, social events, and fun Friday night high school dances. What happened to George Gentile and disillusioned Dina? They shared the same thing in common with lonely Lisa, who after years of single had decided to try her local church's college and career group where she met Godly Greg. They got married, and Lisa now attends that same local church with Greg and the kids. She shows up every super session of Sunday and cringes when her pastor preaches yet another replacement theology-based sermon, or when she attends an unfulfilling Torah is done away with, so what does it mean to you, Bible study? A similar thing happened to Anemic Andrew, who has everything this world says he should. A wife and kids, a good-paying job, a nice house. 
Despite his outward success, he has this empty feeling inside. You know, the one that creeps up in between Netflix binge-watching or hours spent surfing YouTube. Will his life ever make a difference? Is this all there is? How do we tend to George Gentile's identity crisis in the inevitable stage of doubting that almost every Messianic believer is flirted with? If left unchecked, or worse, met, or worse, met with unsympathetic and disinterested years, these emotions of confusion and pangs of uncertainty can lead to the eventual denying of our master and gradual assimilation into the Orthodox world. How do we motivate disillusioned Dina to prevent her from becoming another messianic young adult dropout? What will cut through her thick layer of inattentiveness, apathy, and disappointment? How can we provide her with a strong foundation to not only fight off the temptations and ridicule of this world, but place her in a position to actively advance the cause of the kingdom of heaven? What will help lonely Lisa redeem the time of her singlehood for our Messiah? What will awaken anemic Andrew from his binge-watching, climbing the corporate ladder, and just making it through bedtime power struggles with a kid's slumber? What's the common denominator in all these messianic tales of old? No one ever called them to a higher standard, spiritual maturity. In my last talk, I sought to unpack some of Pastor Lancaster's sermons on the first few chapters of Shaul, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I attempted to inspire you by introducing you to what I call the lost awe of the Messianic Gentile, the wonderment of how every single Gentile's attachment to the commonwealth of Israel through our Messiah is literally a fulfillment of dozens of ancient prophecies in the Hebrew Bible. I warned against falling into the detrimental trap of downplaying one's Gentile identity, dwelling on one law theology thinking, and or, heaven forbid, flirting with the idea of ditching one's Gentile identity altogether. I encourage you to look towards your God-given gifts and talents to make a difference in our communities, big or small, local or distant. I emphasize how Hashem wants to use your unique gifts and talents, even if you can't read a lick of Hebrew or can't tell the difference between the Talmud Bavli and the Talmud Yerushalmi. I ended up by talking by what I call the Great Caveat, taken from the fourth chapter of the letter to the Ephesians. Shaul departs from the stimulating prophetic topics of Hashem's worldwide eternal plan for all the nations, and the prophetic calling and position of the nations in Hashem's kingdom. He advances from the mysticism of the Mashiach's Yerida, Ve'aliyah, descent and ascent, his Otsar, Matanot Ruchani, his storehouse of spiritual gifts, and building the Guf HaMashiach, the body of Messiah. He now talks about the boring and way less tantalizing topics of teshuva, turning from sin, musar, acquiring good character traits, shalom bayit, building healthy marriages, chinuch, educating children, Talmud Torah, Bible study on the topics of truth, righteousness, Hashem's peace and salvation, and finally tefillah, prayer. He calls us to become mature, chapter 4, verse 13, and to grow up in every way, verse 15. In an earlier letter, Shaul puts it this way, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. First letter to Corinth, chapter 13, verse 11. In yet another apostolic letter, the letter to the Hebrews, we have this familiar plea. For, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the word of Hashem. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. 
but solid food is for the mature. Therefore, let us leave the elementary principles of Messiah and go on to maturity. Letter to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 12 through chapter 6, verse 1. What's with the apostolic emphasis on maturity? Let's back up a few verses and notice that the Messiah's mystical descent and ascent was for the purpose of inaugurating the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse 11. Why is it that he gives the original community of his followers these special abilities, almost like an elite spiritual special forces unit? Shaw puts it this way in the quote-unquote Musar section of the letter to the Ephesians. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Messiah until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Messiah, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. This section is so important if you allow me to paraphrase these verses and allow me to Allow me the liberty to echo Shaul's words in the NIAV. Verted the NIV, this is the NIAV, the New Israel Amic Version. So that God's people will be equipped to do better work for him, building up the body of Messiah to a position of strength and maturity until we finally all have a unified faith and knowledge of Messiah and all become full-grown in Hashem at the standard of maturity set by the Messiah's perfection. Then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or has clearly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Instead, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times and grow up to become more and more in every way like our Rebbe, our Messiah, who is our spiritual head. Under his direction, the whole body of Messiah is fitted together perfectly, each part in its own special way, helping the other parts so that the body, the whole body, is healthy and growing and full of love. Letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, NIAV, New Israel Amic Version. In all seriousness, this portion of Shaul's letter sounds like an expansion of, of our Messiah's last directive to us, Talmidim and Shlichim, students and emissaries. Yeshua came and said to them, All authority is in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make Talmidim of all nations immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I believe the commissioning of our elite spiritual special forces unit of shlichim, emissaries, neviim, prophets, mebaserot, of proclaimers of good news, the roim, shepherds, and melamdim, teachers, was in order to carry out King Messiah's final objective, to go make Talmidim, disciples of all nations. This brings us full circle to our previous barrage of questions about how to both deal with and to prevent the unfortunate predicament of George Gentile, disillusioned Dina, etc. I believe the apostolic call to maturity, to messianic maturity, will begin to pave the way to come to some solutions. Although much more work 
and more development is needed, let's introduce three key ideas. Shlichut, becoming emissaries. Chinuch, education and training. And Ahavad ben Adam lechabero, loving one another. We'll briefly unpack each of these concepts and begin to learn how to apply them. Shlichut, being emissaries for Messiah, also known as, it's not just for Chabadniks. There's a Hasidic joke about two Hasidim who wind up in Gehenna. One a Breslov Chassid, a.k.a. a Breslover, and the other a Chabad Chassid, a.k.a. a Chabadnik. The Breslov Chassid looks up to him and, and cries out, Rabbi Nachman, save me! Rabbi Nachman swoops down and pulls him out of Gehenna by the Chassid's long peyot side curls. The Chabadnik sees this and thinks, this is fantastic, I'll call upon my rabbi too. He similarly cries, Rabbi Schneerson, save me! Rabbi Schneerson swoops down and asks, are there other Jews down here too? The Chabadnik reluctantly nods, and Rabbi Schneerson answers, No, Shlichus, here's your mission field! Anyone who's had contact with a Hasidic sect of Chabad Lubavitch, a sect of Hasidic Judaism that heavily emphasizes outreach to unaffiliated Jews, immediately is amazed at their tremendous dedication to outreach. This dedication has spawned many endorsements from well-known Jewish personalities in Hollywood and politics. Their impressive outreach efforts are well documented in the 2005 paperback entitled The Rebbe's Army, Inside the World of Chabad Lubavitch, in my humble opinion, a must-read for followers of our Master. It puts to shame many disciples of our Messiah, while simultaneously inspiring us through anecdotes and pious examples of how we can be more effective in making disciples. When considering the concept of shlichut, or what's been called the Great Commission, quote-unquote, at the end of Matai, Matthew's Gospel, we must ask a simple question. What drove our master's disciples to go to the ends of the earth and turn the world upside down with the call to follow Yeshua and his message of the coming kingdom of heaven? It might seem like we have it bad in the Messianic movement when we consider the wild west of the Hebrew roots movement and the array of synagogues all independently run, ranging the spectrum of, of observance. Add to that a dash of independent home group fellowships and we have the makings of a confused and disunified Messianic Judaism. How do Jewish children develop their identities in all of this disunity? How are we supposed to raise Messianic Gentile children in all of this? Although we can be tempted to wring our hands of Messianic Judaism or waste our days away in despair, we need to consider our spiritual forefathers. Consider how Yitzchak, Isaac, grew up as a first-generation monotheist in his father Avraham's house. What Friday night songs did they sing for Shabbat dinners? What sidur did they use to make kiddush before their hot cholet lunch on Shabbat afternoons? Of course, they ate cholet lunches. We can ask similar questions of the brave men and women who our master sent out to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel. What messianic synagogue did Matai invite his newly converted formerly Hindu Indian disciples to? Which translation of the gospels did Shaul hand out to his former Greco-Roman pagan Talmudian? It seems to me that instead of simply crying foul or metaphorically taking our ball and going home, we can rely on two apostolic turbo engines to drive our shlichut, the Gospels and the historic fact of the resurrection of our Master. Yochanan, John, one of our Master's inner circle of disciples, talks about the purpose for his Gospel account. Now Yeshua did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yohanan chapter 20 verse 31. Much later in his life, Yohanan adds that not only are the gospel accounts credible, but they bring one to devotion and relationship with our master. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Yeshua the Messiah. First letter of Yohanan, chapter 1. Verses 1-3. through three. This credible eyewitness testimony Yochanan speaks about, detailing our Rebbe's miraculous acts and teachings, is not only meant to build confidence in Yeshua, but also to bring us into a deep relationship with Him. In addition to access to the Master's teachings and the examples of, of His life, the Gospel also recounts the historical event of His resurrection from the dead. Shaul speaks of having confidence in his resurrection as the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead and the initiation of the messianic era. Detailed in chapter 15 of his first letter to the Corinthians, Shaul assures us of this historical fact and hangs the motivation of our faith on this reality. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Messiah died for our sins in according with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And if Messiah has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we have testified about God that he raised the Messiah from the dead. And if he has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 13 through 4 and 14 through 17. A rabbi moved to a new town, was greeted after morning prayers by the townspeople, and asked what he did for a living. After replying that he was a shochet, ritual slaughterer, the townspeople began to murmur to themselves, wondering if they could trust his kosher standards. Finally, the synagogue president suggested that the new rabbi become a malamid, a school teacher. Whereupon the rabbi abruptly stood up and started towards the door. The synagogue president flagged him down and Asking what was wrong, the rabbi replied, let me get this straight. For slaughtering insignificant cows and chickens, I don't have your trust, but you're ready to entrust me with your precious children's education? This town is not for me. Every human being has a flashing light on his or her forehead crying out, tell me that I count and that I'm special. Our children are no different. We need to invite our children to be a part of something bigger, to have a mission, to know that they count in our Rebbe's calling. As Shaul counsels Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. First letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 12. Several years ago, I attended a bar mitzvah of an important family in a synagogue I attended. This family had suffered from infertility for years until they were invited to ask a Hasidic Rebbe for his blessing. They did, and miraculously they were blessed with twins. Their son, having reached the age of Bar Mitzvah, expertly read his Torah portion that day and gave a rousing speech. One detail I'll never forget is how he talked about becoming Chayelim of their Rebbe. The word Chayel, Chet Yud Lamid, translated as a soldier, he explained, was an acronym for three things. A chassid, a devout follower, a yirei shamayim, a pious person, and a lomdan, a learner. 
I think we need to raise children and young adults to be chaylim for Yeshua. In order to prevent the disillusioned dinas of the Messianic movement, we need to invest time, talent, and treasure in building Messianic education for Jews and Gentiles. We need to invite the next generation to the high calling of shlichut of our Rebbe, reaching out to a world that is ever more lost, dying, and longing for meaning. Stories abound of many Hasidic Rebbes who moved to America and completely rebuilt their once flourishing dynasties that were decimated during the Holocaust. We can take away inspiration from these stories that recount how the most successful dynasties were almost completely founded on Chinuch, children's education. But we also need more. Although such stories give us inspiration, many of us may be spread out across the country or the world and find it hard to be part of a healthy Messianic community. I have three suggestions for building Chinuch among families who are isolated and or otherwise prevented from moving into healthy Messianic communities. First, in this digital age, we must build up messianic chinuch, harnessing the power of technology, whether through social media, video conferences, or whatever other means we can find. Second, our families may need to supplement with either local Christian or Jewish youth groups and events, albeit with wisdom and counsel, lest, heaven forbid, our children be influenced away from our messianic convictions. Lastly, Messianic families should be encouraged to take part in periodic events such as annual camps, conferences, and, and pilgrimages, quote-unquote, during holidays to Messianic synagogues and communities. Yes, finances and time commitments might at first seem prohibitive to these suggestions. However, the benefits of raising the next generation to carry on our legacy and raise Messianic families of their own far outweigh these concerns. Conversely, we may pay the larger price of the pain and anguish we feel over wayward teen and adult children who stray from our path, heaven forbid. To all those singles, couples without children, widows, widowers, and to the couples with adult children, if there is going to be a messianic movement five years from now, or 50 years from now, heaven forbid the Messiah is coming as the light, Shaul recommends using this time that is free from the worries and anxieties of family life to, quote, secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Realize that you're in a unique position to use your treasure of time to help build the next generation. Additionally, some of you are at a stage of life in which you have invaluable wisdom to share with parents and young adults from years of walking with Hashem. No matter your stage of life, you can redeem the time to be used mightily for the advancement of Hashem's kingdom. Along with investing in Messianic education across our movement, we must remember that true chinuch starts at home. Shaul gives us a dual instruction, one for children and one for parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1-4 through four. To any children or young adults listening, I'd say that obeying your parents is not only a mitzvah for which Hashem will reward you, but excellent advice to follow when asking your parents for that new toy, video game, or keys to the family car. For the parents out there, we must realize that our children are our closest and dearest disciples. We must ask ourselves difficult questions. What kind of examples do we set for our children? 
when's the last time we studied through material on raising children anyway? Do our kids have unfettered access to cell phones and tablets? What influences do we allow in the, li in the lives of our children through their screen time? Generation Z, those born between the late 1990s and the early 2010s, are digital natives, meaning that they were born into a world completely saturated with social media, YouTube, and streaming television and movies. These outlets are constantly and subtly discipling this generation into a world of secularism, self-gratification, and corrupt values. Our master spoke of his generation as faithless and twisted, and the apostle similarly referred to it as crooked and perverse. How many more times magnified is the faithlessness and perversion of our generation, a society that is failing and needs the redemption our Messiah offers? Are these the sources of discipleship we desire for our children? The town drunk once knocked on the door of the rabbi, claiming, Rabbi, the Messiah is here! The rabbi stuck his head out the door, smelled deeply, and, re and replied, My son, not today. Not today. Why did the rabbi need to stick his head out of the door to verify the man's claim? Because the rabbi's house already had the aroma of Messiah. Hashem should give us the strength and wisdom necessary to make our home smell of Messiah, Torah, and mitzvot good deeds. Ahavat ben Adam lechaveru, the hardest commandment. Mark's gospel recounts a dispute our master had with the Sadducees regarding the resurrection of the dead. Upon hearing Yeshua's masterful response, a scribe of the Pharisees asked, Which commandment is the most important of all? Yeshua answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31. In a parallel account, Matthew records a summary statement. On these two commandments depend all the Torah and the prophets. Chapter 22, verse 40. Shaul echoes the master's words and expounds on them. Oh, no one anything except to love one each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the Torah. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the Torah. Romans chapter 13, 8 through 10. This emphasis on loving one's neighbor begs the question, who are our closest neighbors? Our children and our spouses. It's often the most difficult to love one another, to outdo one another in showing honor, and not repay evil for evil with those closest to us. That's why I've entitled this the response of our master to love one another as the hardest commandment. Shaul puts it this way in his letter to the Ephesians. Submit to one another in fear of the Messiah. Wives should submit to their husbands as they do to the Lord. Because the husband is head of the wife, just as the Messiah, as head of the Messianic community, is himself the one who keeps the body safe. Just as the Messianic community submits to the Messiah, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. As for husbands, love your wives just as the Messiah loved the Messianic community. Indeed, gave himself up on its behalf. This is how husbands ought to love their wives, like their own bodies. For the man who loves his wife is loving himself. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21-28 through 28. Now, I'm not an authority in this area, so I'll leave it to Pastor Lancaster to teach on this topic when the time comes. I will make a couple of observations on marriage. 
from my limited experience. Husbands and wives must mutually submit to each other in the fear of the Messiah. Husbands, we cannot expect to take the leadership role in our marriages without sacrificially loving our wives. Additionally, it's vital to understand that healthy marriages are the foundation of chinuch and shlichut. Our rabbi inaugurated a worldwide teshuva movement in his initial coming, and he invites us to this exciting adventure. We must raise chayalim for our Rebbe, Yeshua, on the foundation of chinuch and love for one another, especially when it comes to marriage and family. No matter who we are, George Gentile, disillusioned Dina, lonely Lisa, anemic Andrew, or, or another of the dozens of characters that make up the sad group of dropouts and defectors from Messianic Judaism, the Messiah, King of Israel, and the whole world invites you personally to his mission to usher in Hashem's kingdom. We must look at ourselves as trailblazers and pioneers in rebranding and unifying modern-day Messianic Judaism and restoring the ancient faith of our apostles and early Messianic community. When our Messiah comes in glory and sits on his throne, will we be counted among those to whom he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Master, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it, To one of the least of these, you did it to me.